Support. Support. Support for this podcast is brought to you by the, the Kellogg Innovation Entrepreneurship Initiative. Think bravely. Think differently. Think collaboratively. We started in October, and we made like zero dollars, and zero dollars again, and again a little bit less money. And I remember doing the calculation, thinking, like, okay, if we continue at this rate, we will be out of business in six months. Hello and welcome to My Startup Journey, a show where we interview Northwestern entrepreneurs, builders, visionaries, and classmates. In this episode, I'm talking to Naruki Hurai, who will be taking over the podcast next quarter, and then we'll turn the tables and he'll interview me. Carlos Gomez and I have been doing this podcast since July of 2017, and I've gotten to hear some fantastic stories from the Kellogg entrepreneurial family. Later, you'll hear a bit about my startup journey, but first, I'd like you to get to know Ruby. Montgomery County, which is a suburb of, of D.C. between sophomore and junior year of high school. Uh, and yeah, so Eddie Tao from eRetirement's Funny thing, I'm waiting like in 1871 in the lobby. I think we're talking, we kind of hit it up and some, some part in the conversation, um, you know, I mentioned I'm from Maryland and that we both went to Maryland. And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, you know, I went to Maryland too. And then he did a little digging and, and he was like, where'd you go to high school? And uh, you know, we went to the same high school. So it was like a bizarre, weird thing. But yeah, I grew up in Maryland, the DC area for 16 years or so. And then I moved to, to Chicago uh, um, when I, you know, to, to join Kellogg, so. What made you want to come to Kellogg? Uh, I think, well, I think it was the marketing aspect of it. I, I'm more attuned to marketing than I am to finance problems. Um, and marketing problems are just so fascinating because they involve a lot more human behavior and a lot more randomness. Um, and, you know, Kellogg had a great program. Carlos is always thinking about succession and how do we keep something alive and knowing that I was going to graduate fairly soon we were thinking about that too and it just perfect timing Ruki came in and said I would love to help out to me what was so cool about my startup journey was the stories involved with the show and I always felt like stories were a great way of communicating information and then remembering information and the fact that there was a podcast that highlighted people's stories really captured my attention the personal stories you know and and i have this theory or this philosophy that especially with an entrepreneur um, chances are his or her personal story is a reflection of the business and how they lead how they manage Um, and i felt like creating that connection of the personal story with the business or the brand was really important in understanding the overall sort of culture and business model of the company. So as everyone found out, Naruki is going to be the one succeeding and taking over. And one part that that I had gotten requests for was what'll, what about my story? What about my startup journey? And Naruki will take it off from here. Let's start uh, from where you came from. I know you have a great uh, story with your parents. Sure. Where were you born? Where did you grow up? So I grew up in the city of Chicago, and I grew up 
I, I went to Chicago Public School. I went to private school for uh, grade school. Then high school, I went to a so grade school. I had twenty three classmates. That was it. My high school had four thousand kids. It's a huge stark change, and I, I loved it because I went to Lane Tech High School, and I loved it though because you got a whole sense of diversity, racial diversity. Religious diversity, cultural diversity, economic diversity—all these different types of people that were in one building together—and as teenagers figure out who they are and interacting—and I thought that was extremely, extremely special. So that's a big part of why uh, I identify with Chicago as my identity. And what about your parents? Because they came from Vietnam. Yeah, yeah. My parents have a, a crazy story. So my my dad. He grew up in, in so Vietnam. If you're not familiar with the shape of it, it is a very skinny country. It's right underneath China, underneath China to the east of Cambodia, and super skinny country. And there are three main cities in it. The top northern city is Hanoi. The middle city is called Hue, and the bottom city, the southern city, is called Saigon, or now it's referred to as Ho Chi Minh City after. One of the people who ran it after the war. My father grew up in Hue in the middle, and my mother grew up in Saigon. During the war, my father was a fighter pilot, and he was a bomber. And his job was to again was to fight against the communists, against it. So he sided with America, and he was one of the first people. Actually, he was the first brigade to get in a bomber plane, fly to the north, bomb them. And come back, and he did it by himself. He had it wasn't like Top Gun where you have two people in an airplane. It's one little Vietnamese dude in a millions of dollar aircraft going, doing it, and coming back. And it's funny that he never really talks about it too much. But my story is when I ask him, like, what was it like bombing and flying a flying a plane in the Vietnam War? He goes, it was easy. You you get your instructions. You go in the plane. You bomb them. You bomb the site. You come back and you have lunch. If I can go back in time, it would be to go to when he was a child, because his his mother passed away when he was uh, around ten years old, and his father decided to start another family, and my dad was kind of alone. He had an older sister, older brother, but they were like a decade older than him, and they already had a family. They were starting off their family then, and he would tell me that he would be in boarding school. And it'd be Christmas, and you would have all these other students leaving because their families were there to pick him up, and he would have no one to pick him up. And it just breaks my heart to hear that about my dad. But he, he was a, a tough dude who went for what he wanted, and he actually lied about his age to get into the Air Force. He, I think, paid someone to make a fake to to change the year of his birth. To apply for the Air Force, and he got into the Vietnamese Air Force, and was trained in Pensacola, Florida, by the U.S. Navy, and then went to go fight in the war. My mother, she was one. She was number ten of eleven children in her family. So very different. She had a huge family, as well as my father, but she grew up extremely poor. My father had some money of how he grew up, but she grew up extremely, extremely poor. But. She is ridiculously smart, as my father will always admire about her, and she got a scholarship as a nurse to come to America, and to study nursing, and then to go back to Vietnam and, and implement it. And 
she would tell me that during the war, you have people who are trying to leave on carriers and on other boats and just to get out. And my father and my mother, unfortunately, the Vietnam War was lost on their side. Through that pain, though, they lost their country. They've never been back since 1975. That's when they left. And, but they found each other uh, through this whole process and eventually fell in love and, and everything else. But the part that I remember growing up as a child, people would ask me, oh, why don't you go back to Vietnam? Why don't you go back to Vietnam? And I'd say, it's completely different. You don't understand this. My father and mother left that country because it was war-torn. They, are, they were literally refugees. They left this country. And to go back is not something that is very pleasurable for them. It's associated with bombing and associated with people coming in and taking your stuff. And my mother's brother, my uncle, was thrown into a, a camp, a re-education camp, it was called, for, for a good amount of time, like three years or four years. And it's not something that they're very happy about. My mother and father told me that they came to this country and, and you know, I really believe that America doesn't mean it's, it's not the best country in the world. By far, there's a bunch of other places that are great. Finland has the number one school education system. We don't have enough health care, all this stuff. But it's a great country. And my mother and father would tell me that they would be in line. Think about this. You're a refugee from a country. You're at this service center where they have a, other, a ton of other refugees. And you all have little cots that you sleep on or whatever. And my mom would tell me that she'd be in line with people to get a free cup of coffee and a little vanilla wafer. And that was like the highlight of her day. And for like three months, think about that. That's all you do. There's no cell phone. Maybe you can read something, you have some people, but you got nothing. They would tell me that the church that we, that I grew up going to supplied them with with furniture, they got us donations. My mother and father would shop at Salvation Army, get some free stuff from, or cheap stuff from them, and they had to rebuild their lives uh, together. This city did a very good job of welcoming my parents and allowing them to recreate their lives. And for me, I'm an only child. I have a, I have a cousin that I'm extremely close with, but I grew up without a brother and sister here. I had to take the bus to school by myself in the fourth grade, that's 10 years old, taking the CTA bus to and from school. Having all those memories and those feelings is what makes me identify Chicago with my, my personality and who I am. Where did you get that, that ability to just figure things out on, by yourself? Thinking about the current system right now, school ends around 2.30. If you're working nine to five, how do you pick up a kid at 2.30? Because, because of that, it was just by need. I had to be able to do stuff on my own. So I learned to cook. I learned to make grilled cheese sandwiches. I would do laundry. I would do the dishes. And all around 10 years old, come, I'd take the bus from, from school, and I would go home, turn on some Q101, listen to some alternative radio, and make a little sandwich and just crank away at homework and all the stuff, and sometimes make dinner. Both my parents were working pretty late or do laundry or whatever, but you just have to do it. When you're ingrained as a child, like I just have to figure it out for myself, then you just gotta, you gotta go do it. What was your first business? I went to an undergrad, and I really wanted to get into consulting. And I started a club with my friend Charlie called CASE. It stood for Consultant, Consultants Advising Student Enterprises. I really just wanted a sweet acronym. I'm like, yeah, CASE, and just make it fill in whatever we can fill in about it. But I had to think, how do we get people to join the club? 
how do they're just going to join? What what am I paying them in? And we found out that a lot of people join the club, users, right? Why, why are you joining the club? Because I want to learn some stuff for my consulting interviews. Like, oh, okay, perfect. So I started teaching them how to do case interviews, how to do behavioral interviews, how to do your resume. And this quickly caught on that this was what you get from joining the club, not just write something in your resume. We are actively going to teach you how to do case interviews. After we graduated, my friend Charlie and I, we realized that there was a market for this, that people still want to do this. So that's what we did. We created a company called College 2 Consulting. Again, I love alliteration. So we created this company called College 2 Consulting, where we would drive to UChicago and to Northwestern, and we would teach them how to do case interviews. Everything from here's a framework to here's how to do a growth strategy case to a merger and acquisition case to here's how to do behavioral interviews, how to do your resume, cover letter, etc. And we'd only take 10 students at a time because that was the amount of capacity that we believed that we could do in giving successful quality instruction. We did that, and we did that for a, a good amount of years. And eventually my friend, my partner, Charlie, had to move to San Francisco. So he moved and it got really tough, honestly, to do a remote partnership. As much as you can try, in my opinion, it's pretty hard. You have different time zones. You don't, don't have the same energy in person. And I went to an event at 1871 where you had to wear these little colored stickers. And a color would signify I have a business and I'm looking for someone to join or I'm looking to join a business. And you could wear both if you really wanted to. And you stand in a circle, you listen, and people were saying, and this is just the, the bullshit that happens. You have people saying, yeah, I have a great idea for a CPG company, CPG directly to the consumer mobile platform company. And that's what I'm looking, I'm looking for someone who understands business development and whatever. You go around and I was just very canned. I said, I have this, consulting interview prep company here and we're doing we, we're doing pretty well and I don't know, I'm just looking for anyone to help me out and that's it and I got quite a bit of people that came to me afterwards and I mean the stuff I would hear them say is like, oh man I want to get an education too you know I have an where we have a company and we're gonna break even in three months and then we're going to in six months we're gonna be able to hit this profit goal that we have and go oh my gosh that's amazing where are you what phase are you in right now oh we're just in the ideation phase Oh my gosh, get out of my face. This other guy came to me. His name was Kevin. And Kevin Drost. And he came and he said, hey, I, I like what you're doing. And I would love to maybe talk a little bit more. Sounds great. And we met up at Ogilvy. And we just kind of talked a little bit. And he said, I think how we need to go is we need to make this thing more digital so we can scale it. That sounds great. And eventually, my, I didn't mention this, but my partner, Charlie, ended up leaving. It was just too much to deal with and totally understandable. So I picked, I brought this guy, Kevin Drossan in. And Kevin, I will, his idea was, yeah, let's just record the classes you do instead. That way you don't have to have everyone on the same cycle. Anyone can kind of just join whenever they want. And they still submit homework to me through our, our platform that we had called Pathright. And I can grade it and send it back to them and call them on the phone and all this stuff. Sounds great. So we started doing that, and yeah, we made we made our classes online to allows more people to come in. And I, I, I'm happy to boast this number for the years where we were doing this. We actually had a small group of people, so we had about 40, 40 people came in. 
everyone who came in, every student who came in who actively pursued a consulting interview, we actually had some students who came in and after the course realized that they don't want to be consultants, so no big deal. But for the ones who did, every one of them received the consulting offer. And we knew we had something that worked. And the hard part, though, was getting into other schools. It's honestly, go to any other school, even Kellogg. And I remember I mentioned it to Kellogg. And the schools all think that they have their own method that works. And so it's just extremely hard to break that barrier, to penetrate that. We eventually liquidated the company. We both got kind of what we wanted out of it, Kevin and I did. But we just realized, you know, it was too hard to kind of penetrate and kind of decided to put it to bed. And you're also going to, to school. Um, but, but you're also creating other businesses, right? Yeah. From my understanding. How do you, what, what businesses did you start? And um, can you talk about how you manage that with all the other stuff that was going on in your life? Sure, sure. I've technically only done three businesses. Okay. College consulting was the first one I've ever done. That was an S Corp. Second one I did was called Jits Lab. That was second company. The third company that's been the best so far has been a gym, a literal physical retail gym called Chicago School of Grappling, located by the Racine Blue Line stop. Anyone's free to go. The what, what's the website? ChicagoSchoolGrappling.com. Yeah, I don't know, it's, it's been so fun. That one was that one was scary to start because me and two partners. That's an, that's an LLC too. We put in our investment capital, and you, when you're doing retail, you got to think about rent. Rent is just gonna is a killer. And we went where you have to spend. All right, fine. We put in all this money. This amount of money goes towards building new stuff and repainting and whatever and some equipment. Okay, this amount of money goes for insurance or this amount of money is to put down three months rent. Already takes out so much of that cash you just built up. And I remember doing this. We started in October. We technically started in July, but we actually opened our doors in October. And we made like zero dollars. And zero dollars again. And again, a little bit less money. And I remember doing the calculation thinking like, okay, if we continue at this rate, we will be out of business in six months. And all that money will just be just gone. And fortunately, we were able to turn it around. And in about a year after launching, we a year and a month, we started making a profit. We beat break even. And then you just start saying, okay, good. Oh, now we're doing really well. But what we've done is we've taken, the partners that I, I, I always say this, have never taken a payment from this company. We take all the money we save and put it back into the business to eventually get a bigger spot or to get better stuff. We pay our instructors really, really, really well because we're, we're a services industry, which means that we have to get good people and we want them to be treated very well. So we'll pay them well, which means if we don't make a cut, we're okay with that, as long as the business is making more so we can eventually expand. And it's just something that we're extremely passionate about and we love to do martial arts. When we return, Naruki and I talk more about the Kellogg entrepreneurial scene, opportunities you can take advantage of, and much more. If you had two versions of a website, how do you know which one people would more quickly understand? Could they find the information they were looking for? How long would it take them? 
built for UX testing, Usability Hub allows you to see which version of your site or app users prefer, where would they click, how many do the action you want, and much more. At $2.50 per targeted tester, it's a great way to gain insight about your designs and user interfaces. Sign up at our EBC site to get 40% off of three months or do a pay-as-you-go model. Hey, if you're an entrepreneur or working for a startup and you're looking to grow your business, stay organized, or help with presentations, you should probably listen right now. In this segment, we call this Entrepreneur Tools, and it's a chance for me to tell you about some cool tools that can help you do all that. A common phrase I'll hear professors say is, we don't need another dating app. Hey, I get it. It's a bit weird at first, but there are two assumptions you should be able to make. Everyone on these apps should be one, single, and two, looking. I don't know that anywhere else. What if your perfect soulmate is sitting in front of you in class? Or what if that person is listening to this same exact podcast but sitting on a train somewhere else? Now, I'm not sharing a dating app, but what if we could bring the same insights into finding a co-founder? Startup Soulmates is an app which I created and it allows you to see other startups that are popping up in the Kellogg scene. You can mark which ones you think you can help or you know someone that can help and then you'll get connected. If you don't see your idea, then you can simply make your own profile. All you have to do to start is text start me up at 773-382-8378. Again, that number is 773-382-8378 and you'll get access to find your startup soulmate before they go somewhere else. We are back. If you're just tuning in, we started by getting to know a little bit about Naruki and his passion for storytelling. And then we flipped the tables so you could learn a little bit more about me, John Lee, the man behind this golden voice. Here's a bit more regarding Kellogg. So you have you know, a lot of consulting experience, right? And go to Northwestern undergrad. Why Kellogg? Uh, I, I actually applied to Kellogg twice. The first time I didn't get in and it was so heartbreaking. The second time I got in and I was ecstatic about it and it just felt like it was right. And I really wanted to go to business school because I wanted to strengthen a lot of skill sets on, on what I was weak at, but I also wanted to double down on what I was very good at. And I, I, I tell people who are thinking about Kellogg, I told them this, I said, what's very good about the part-time program, and I, I really hate this whole like distinguishing full-time, part-time, all this junk. But what's really good about the part-time program is that one is you get six classes that after you're done that you can just kind of take, which is like really sweet. The second thing is you do not have to take all your core classes up front. You can actually distribute it. And I remember, I to be very candid, I after my first two quarters at Kellogg, I was not a big fan of the classes I was taking. I had taken only core classes, and I just thought, oh my gosh, this is just... Like I'm getting some, you know, I'm getting information from the book that the professor is regurgitating sometimes, or maybe this professor is really good here, but I disagree with this professor because this, you're in getting information in hindsight, so you don't know if this thing would have worked out this way, and I just didn't like it. And the winter, I decided to take an elective. I said, all right, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take an elective. And I took New Venture Development with Linda Dara. And from New Venture Development, I fell in love with that class. It was exactly what I needed at that time. It was my injection to wake up. I was woke 
and I learned from that class how to test your website, how to talk to your audiences and to actually test their measurements of how they're doing on your site and all this type of stuff and what a conversion means, what's, what's LTV over CAC, what, is, what the hell does that mean? And I learned all this stuff from, from that class alone. I had a great TA named Mike Rome who worked for Sean Johnson at Digital Intent and it was just like, that's what I needed. And from then I decided, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm not really gonna take my core classes all at once anymore. I'm going to distribute it out because what I also want to do is I want to get my name out. I want to be big on the entrepreneurial scene and I don't want to have to do that in one year. I want to do it in two years or two and a half years or whatever. So I just, I took half electives, half core, sometimes no core at all. But the cost of that is that made me the senior taking gen chem. I took like, I would tell people I'm taking finance. Like, oh, Fin two? No, finance one. I'm like, aren't you like graduating soon? I'm like, yeah, but I gotta do it. But whatever. I thought it was the right move for me. It allowed me to double down on what I really wanted to to accomplish. What do you see in successful entrepreneurs? Like what kind of skill sets do they have or how do they walk around the room? And and maybe you know, talk about um, what about the not so successful ones? How can you kind of <laughs> Pick them out yeah. of a list. The successful entrepreneurs, or founders, whatever we'll call them, to me, are people who are willing to do that grind and they're willing to figure it out. I don't know how to do this. I'm going to figure it out. Not, I'm just going to find someone. I'm going to figure it out and try to do it. Try to do it myself, or try to find someone that can help me with it. And really, are willing to put in the grind. I'd say the people who are not as successful are the ones who are very organized and they love the shark tank type of life or what they see at least but I don't think they're willing to put in the amount of work and and honestly figure it out this leads me to a question about ambiguity sure as an entrepreneur you don't know right are you afraid of that or is it just another challenge to you like figuring out a Rubik's cube or something yeah, I would say the the latter, where you don't know, but you got to go figure it out, and you have to figure it out pretty quickly, because there could be another person who has your same exact idea on the opposite side of the world, even down the street maybe, and it's a race for who can do it better. And I'll give you an example. I did not know how to do digital marketing for specifically for Google AdWords bid strategy and all that type of stuff and I took Professor Sean Johnson's class on digital marketing or digital tools for entrepreneurship but we went over it a little bit and we did a little bit of it but I was like I need to put some money behind this and start doing it myself and really get get good at it so I can understand what I need to do to win and that's the type of mentality I think that people need like I just need to go figure it out and I didn't know how to program and I'm not great at it but I needed to figure out how to make H, how to do HTML for my other company called JITSLAB. And so I went on W3 schools, figured out some stuff, and I went I went on Google first. How do I how do I code? And learn like, oh that statement is so dumb. And it's actually how do I do front end development? Got it. Then W3 school has this thing and I followed that and learned from that. And then I took the class with Brian Aang where we went over a little bit more, but you just gotta go do it. Where does that drive come from? It's fun. 
it's kind of fun. It's curious where you, because you, you, the ball is in your court. One story that I have is I don't really care about mainstream sports a, a lot. It's just not something that interests me. Unless it's fighting, I don't care about it. And I remember I watched a Super Bowl where it was the Giants versus the Patriots. And they asked Tom Brady, would you rather have one minute left in the game and you're up by six, but your team is on uh, defense, or would you rather have one minute left in the game and you're down by six, but you have the ball? And he said, give me the ball. And I thought, what a sick answer. Yeah. And I kind of really like that. And for that drive, it's like, give me the ball. I want to make the call. I want to make the shot. And because I believe, in, I believe in myself to get it to get it done. I'm doing this all on the side too. That's another part of the the story that I think adds some meat to the bones, right? Is that you're doing this and you're doing a, a full time job and trying to figure out, you know, that work life balance. Yeah. How do you juggle that? I don't sleep. <laughs> That's the easy answer. The the thing that I tell people too is. I don't believe you need to quit your job to pursue your idea unless your idea requires you to be talking to different people from nine to five, like a lot of people from nine to five. I, because think how much time there is at the end of the day. The average American spends about five hours a night watching TV. A night watching it. You come home from nine to five. That means that you're probably home. I don't know. You're, you're working from nine to five. That means you're probably coming home around six, maybe six to eleven. You're watching TV, doing nothing. Like, oh my gosh. But if you're watching TV and doing some work, you have a lot of time at night to do to build something. It's not. It's not terrible. And I think that you should, because you have that such a little window, you're going to turn out better quality stuff. You're going to be forced to be a little bit more efficient and not and not not be a procrastinator on something that you need to make because you only have five six hours at night to knock that out as you graduate uh, or you head towards graduation um, what do you feel like you're leaving behind at Kellogg and what do you think you're reaching for after Kellogg yeah my whole goal of when I started I remember I, I tell you this story I, so I took new, new Venture Development with Linda, and David Haysbrook was the president at the time of the EBC club, and I was not part of the club. And he said, hey, you really need to join the club. And I go, okay, I'll join the club. And he goes, oh, but no, you, you need to, like, we're, we're running for, we're having people run for board members, and you really need to run. Like, oh, I don't know, I don't have time to do that. I got a bunch of other stuff. I'm trying to start a gym. I got a bunch of other stuff I need to do. And he's like, yeah, but you need to do it. And are you actually, I, and I think how he said it is, you're going to do it. Like, All right, fine. No choice there. Yeah, no choice. I looked into his beautiful eyes and I said, fine. So I, 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 I ran for a president and I got it. And I was very happy for that. And my whole goal of during my time as the president of the club was to teach people that you can, you can do this. You got it. You can make this thing. And here's what we here's how I'm going to help. And the the page that got the most views for us on our new updated website. I redid the website. 
and the page that got us the most views was I, I had a, a part called Steps to be Legit, and it has all these footsteps on it, but it tells you here are all the actual steps you need to do. You, it's great to learn about IP law, and it's great to learn about marketing, but you first need to figure out how to get a bank account, or what is an EIN number. And it lists out all the things you need to do. Here's what you need to do to get an EIN number, and here's where you can go. Here's what you need to do to get a physical address because you don't want to use your home address because you start mixing business with your personal life and way if you are getting sued and someone finds where you live, they can, they can just kind of do this for you. Here's what an S-Corp, a C-Corp, an LLC, a partnership, general partnership, all this stuff, here's what it means and here's why you need to, here's the benefits of picking one over the other. Here's how to go make a website. Here's how to go buy a domain name. Like, it just showed everyone, here are all the steps to just get started. And that we've gotten the most, the most views on. And I think it's because while the key program is doing a fantastic job of teaching you these skills, there's still a, a entry level questions that a lot of people have. That's not enough for a class, but it's a lot of questions people just don't know about. My whole point has been to show people that, and show students, Kellogg students and classmates that it might sound daunting on how to start your own business, but here are the basics that you need to know so that you can naturally pursue it. And because you're Northwestern undergrad and now going to be a graduate of Northwestern, how would you summarize your, your Kellogg ex experience? Maybe the best way to say it is to not leave a parallel universe behind. And I, 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 I mentioned this way. I'll tell a quick story. And I, I've mentioned this in a couple classes, but not a lot of classes. The first time I applied to Kellogg, I didn't get in. I was pretty upset about it pretty heartbroken about it and I was also dating someone at the time and my relationship was still was a little rocky I wasn't, wasn't sure if this was like the right one I wanted to do and she was was abroad with her family and I remember I even though I grew up in the city I said you know I want to I need to re-energize and for me that's hiking I want to be outside I flew to Vegas and then I drove to um, I drove to a national park called Zion and I it was winter it was about December and I got to the ranger I said hey I'm pretty physically active dude I said to the ranger what's the most intense hike you have I said, oh this hike is pretty intense it's super skinny you're gonna have to hold on to chains though It'll take you about four hours to go. perfect give it to me where is it so I did this hike I'm the only one no one else is on the trail and I got to, I'm crushing it, just killing time. Like, oh my gosh, I'm only an hour in. I see I'm at the halfway point or something. Like, no problem. And I get to this frozen creek, this water that's just frozen. And then the trail kind of just stopped. I'm like, where the hell do I go? And I wasn't sure. And I thought, oh, maybe I have to climb along the side of the creek so I'm parallel to the water. I don't know, maybe that's what I'm supposed to do. So I'm going at it, and I actually slip and I fall through the water, the ice water, and I couldn't touch the ground. Oh my God, and I have all this stuff on me. I'm like, oh shit, oh shit. There's no one else around me. I said three oh shits. And what I did was I calmed down and there was a big piece of ice in front of me that I had broken. And I couldn't grab it because my fingertips were sliding off the ice. What I did was I put my elbows down on the piece near me 
and it came up like a seesaw. And I grabbed that and, and pulled myself out of the water. I remember I, I was drenched. I took out my pants. I had to wring them out and my socks. And I luckily had another pair of pants in my backpack, my bag. And I don't know if you've ever gone camping, but when you put your feet on the ground, the cold earth, it sucks all the heat out of your body. And I even feel it every time I say, I'm feeling the same feeling right now. It sucks all the heat out of your body. It's kind of painful. And I remember I thought, oh my gosh. And I put my socks back on and my, my pants back on. I said, I should probably go home. And I was looking toward the way to go home. And I said to myself, no, if I go home and I don't know how close I was to finishing, I will always regret it. And I'll always wonder how close was I to finishing? So I kept going. And about a quarter of the mile later, seriously, that's it. About a quarter mile later, I got to the end and it said, you've reached the end, turn around because there's nasty wildlife. And I remember I stood on this rock and I looked and the sun was setting. So I had to kind of go, but I thought there's a parallel universe where that John Lee goes home and he always wonders how close was he to the end. And maybe looks at Google maps and tries to figure out, but he's not sure. And maybe he finds out where he was. He kicks himself like, I was so close to the end, but that's not this universe. This universe, this John Lee went for it and figured it out. And that was second baptism for me. And that is what allowed me to push and to just do it and figure it out and to, to, to find out. And I've used that motivation to try to influence what classes am I going to take. I really want this class. Well, would I regret it if I didn't take it? Yeah, okay, I'm going to take it. Would I regret it if I if I didn't take it, no, I wouldn't get it. Then I don't care about the class. I'm gonna take this one instead. Given the business, I'm going to pursue this one. Okay, would I regret it if I didn't do it? Yeah, I would, and, and all these other parts. And so in conclusion, it's, it's really, and, and I'll tell people this too, is my philosophy with classes, I don't, if you care about startup or entrepreneurial stuff or whatever, I don't care if you are a part-time, an EMBA student, a, um, a full-time, I don't really care about all this stuff. You you want to do something, then you want to do it. And, and we had an event where we had Google come, and I had a lot of full-timers asking, oh, can I come to the event? I was like, of course, why would we ever deny you that? I don't, it make, makes no sense to me. But I tell people who are in the part-time program, go to Edmondson. Go to where the good professors are. Not saying that there are no good professors in the part-time program because they cycle the classes. But if there's a class you really want, and it's in Evanston at that quarter, just go to Evanston. Don't, don't just stay in Weeble. And the same thing too for, if they're for anyone who's in Evanston, if there's a class you really want and it's taught by this professor and it's being only taught in a quarter in Weeble, go to Weeble. It's not a big deal. There's a shuttle that goes between both. You can take the Purple Line or the Metro, whatever, but go. And my big thing is I'm going to follow and chase classes that I really want, that I would regret if I didn't take. That helps out. It's almost like Kellogg is a nice wrapping, but who are you once you rip the wrapping off? Yeah. When you're tested, how do you bounce back, right? Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Surprise, I'm, here. I'm in <laughs> under the wrapping. <laughs> there you have it. That's Naruki Harad, who will be taking over the podcast starting next quarter. I want to say to Naruki specifically, thank you for everything. I couldn't have asked for a better person to take over, and I'm so happy you reached out and just wanted to get more involved. 
The most common question I get is always around, what makes an entrepreneur successful? And the answer is very clear to me. There are so many people that have vision, but very few people that are willing to really put in the work or to just figure it out. I told Professor Johnson that if I ever had a class that I had to teach at Kellogg for entrepreneurship, it would simply be called, I don't know, figure it out. If you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes I've done, please leave a review. This is my last plea to ask this, as that's the best way you can say thank you. As always, until next time, keep dreaming. Thank you.